Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Russell. Julie, how are you? I'm doing great, partly thanks to you for being one of the most incredible beta readers for my book. Oh my God. My pleasure, it's been fun. It's been great. Audience, when you get my book, this guy has raised it to another level for me. (laughs) It's been great to read it. It's it's a terrific subject, a needed subject. It's been really, really great to be a a very small part of it. Thanks for for letting me uh, be a beta reader. Well, you're welcome, and it's my pleasure. And you're, you might feel like a small part, but this is making beta reader feedback process is just like I said, bringing the book to a different level. And also, it's the reason why I'm I finished writing the book because it, it's been my fuel because this writing process has been a little difficult. And when I get the beta reader feedback and they resonate with what I say. Then yeah. I was like, well, I guess, I guess I got to finish it. <laughs> keep going. Yep. Keep going. Got to finish. Yeah. Well, anyway, so um, we have Russell Smith on today to talk about his, now I had it all summed up before we started recording. So let me see if I can get it right again. His, his potential, his potential identity loss, no, his identity loss of his potential if he had not been born with a heart condition that affected things, that affected his physical body and appearance, and also his things he could do, or at least things perceived that he could do. And so we are going to get to hear about all of this. And I'm, I'm so thrilled to have you. Yeah, thank you, Julie. This is great. Thanks for having me. Yes. So you were, you, yes, you had told me in, in, in writing, in your responses to what you're reading, sort of, I guess it brought up stuff for you mm-hmm. and about your health condition. And so this, this podcast is about sort of unexpected identity loss, rugs pulled out from under you. And in a person's case that has like is born with a, a major condition, it you know the rugs pulled out from you from the get go. So you never knew what your inner identity would have been. So it's kind of like, well, did you really lose your identity? But you lost a potential for the identity, yeah. and I'm sure you had dreams of what you would have done differently or could have done differently or you know, had you not had that situation. So you can start wherever you'd like with your story and we'll just, we'll just roam around and hear, hear about it. Sure. So um, we're, we're quickly going to get to the limit of my own understanding of my heart problem, uh, which will be a sort of interesting digression here. So I was born in 1975 with something called tricuspid atresia, which basically means I have no tricuspid valve in my heart. And so like an hour after I was born, I'm, I'm blue in the face, blue in the body. And the doctor who delivered me uh, very quickly is uh, knowing that something something's off. And very so, off. yeah, super off. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's funny. I was born in Owensboro, Kentucky, which especially at the time, not, not, not a huge city in Western Kentucky, but, but my mom and dad said something like that doctor had just like literally like the week before or two weeks before had just had some training about identifying like major heart issues in newborns. I mean, it, it's something Talk very about serendipity. Like yeah. It's very freaky. And so like 24 hours later, again, like I was there. I don't remember all this, you know, know, I'm a day old, uh, but I'm told my, my mom stayed in Owensboro 
and my dad and I were on an army helicopter to Louisville, the, you know, sort of the big city in Louisville, in Kentucky, 24 hours later. And then uh, when I was 12 days old, I had, um, I had a surgery called a, a Watterson shunt and that sort of stabilized things for the time being. And then I've subsequently had two open heart surgeries in 1985 when I was 10 and uh, in 2014 when I was 39. We can, we can talk about those if we want, uh, if you, if you want. So you asked that you asked an interesting question about sort of identity loss and so on. And I think what I would point to is, is, is yeah. So I never, um, I, I was never like a normal kid and, oh my gosh, something happened and I had to go through this for me, it was more, more a, an identity by proxy. So, you know, I have a younger brother and I saw he was normal and he could do things that I couldn't do. Like I could what? see my my classmates, like play you know competitive sports, and you, know, you couldn't do well, that because why? Well, probably a couple reasons. So one, in some sports, there was a fear that something would happen, like I get hit in the chest, and you know, sort of unknown what happens, but but probably not great, uh, great result. And and two, uh, I, I just didn't have the physical endurance to keep up. So, I mean, even from a, even from a, a very young age, I mean, I, I could tell there was something like, I just couldn't physically do the things kids my age could do. I couldn't run nearly as far. I got very tired very quickly, like running up and down a basketball court, playing basketball. Yeah. You know, my friends, 10, 12, 13 years old, totally fine. Could, you know, could, could do that for a long time. You know, I could run up and down for two or three minutes and then I'm just, I'm gassed, I'm done. So that's what I would kind of point to. Like I, I had these markers among other people that, you know, I can't, I can't do that. And um, I would say, like, I got it. I understood that like, that just wasn't in the cards for me, but there was still that sort of sense of like, hmm, I wonder what that's, I wonder what that's like and having to, to grapple with a life like where that just isn't, uh, in some cases, a possibility. Yeah, and so this is, this is, I talk about this a little bit in the book, but not very much. And I actually have one story in the book about me with this. It's, it's the same kind of thing. And mm. so what it is, is like the identities nipped in the bud because of something and and so like in society it could be racism, sexism, two biggies, and in your case a health condition. And so you you can think about if those conditions weren't there, then this is who I would love to be. Yeah. But there the conditions are there thwarting you, um, in, you know, in a real way. Yeah. And so it's been an interesting, um, look, it's just been interesting about how, uh, some things were really important when I was younger and I felt sort of my inability to do them keenly when I was younger and those diminished over time. And like other things came out that I sort of began experimenting with things I could do, you know, physically or endurance wise or so on. And it's sort of adapted to my own body's abilities and in some cases like push them forward like okay like I can't play football I can't you know run up and down the basketball court for 50 minutes but but within my limitations what can I do to kind of push the boundaries even just a little bit and that's sort of become especially I would say over the last 20 years you know I I began sort of pushing up against some of those limitations and recognizing that look I may not be able to make a huge difference here but if i can make some little difference for me that's a very big deal and even if i can prevent regression like getting worse that's a huge deal for me for my health for my longevity for my prognosis everything so that's that's been very very important so this is this brings up a topic in in my book that i talk about is changing standards of measurement of success or um or productivity or something like that. I should be able to talk better about my book than this, but oh well. And yeah. um and and so 
you couldn't measure yourself on the same standards, but then you decided, well, those standards don't apply to me, at least not, not right now. Like in identity transition, it's like, well, the standards that used to apply no longer apply, and I need to measure on different things. And you, you know, you couldn't measure yourself on the same standard as other kids because you just, you know, you never could and you never will be able to. And so then you let go of those. How, how did it happen that you realized that you no longer had to think in those same way, that same way, or did you? You know, when I was growing up, I would say I felt sort of my physical limitations keenly. Like I was a lot smaller, thinner, shorter, not as well developed as like most kids my age. And, and, you know, I'm, I, like I felt that I I knew that I saw that I perceived that and I and I felt it pretty pretty deeply. But you know, once I got to let's say college and after, like those those differences were were less noticeable, <clears throat> and just I I you know got into a world where just people cared about different things. Period. Like some people didn't care about physical dimensions of life at all. They were just uh, artists or just intellectuals. And 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 things that were limiting for me and my perception, like they didn't care about. They wanted to talk with me about a book or a piece of artwork or or whatever it was. Uh, I would really say that that, uh, and I just wrote a piece kind of about this. But um, the first sort of inkling I got, like, hmm, I wonder what's possible here is. So I get to college, and uh, you know, I'm the scrawny five nine, hundred five pound, nineteen year old. And I go to a party like early my freshman year and like all of a sudden these guys from across are like, dude, come over here. And I'm like, you know, I'm a stupid freshman. I'm like, all right. And I go over and they're like, you have to come out for the crew team. Like you have the perfect coxswain's body to, oh you know, God. steer, steer the boat and, you know, so on and so on. Cause I'm light and I'm actually pretty tall. So I can see over the rowers and see where I'm steering and so on. So I like went out and I did crew for a year and, uh, and, you know, so it was interesting to have a different sort of set of people interested in my body that I had anticipated for a different reason. And, uh, and where I went to college, like I had to, I had to walk downhill to the boathouse every morning, about half an hour and then walk back up. And I thought, uh, you know, I, I'd done a lot of walking around my heart surgery in 2000 and uh, 1985 to recuperate. But, you know, not in any systematic way since then, I wondered how is this going to go? But I thought, well, you know, I'll try it. And if if I can't do it, I can't do it and just stop. It's all right. But I found like uh, I, I did fine. I enjoyed it. Uh, and, you know, I sort of developed physically myself that freshman year. Like I, I grew the typical freshman 15, which I did not expect. And I just felt a lot better. And so like from that was sort of the first time where I thought, you know, um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe even just a half hour walk down and a half hour walk, maybe that is the standard that I now have. And I should do that more. And, you know, I just felt better. And I, I, I wondered like how I'd feel if I continue to do that. So that was, that was sort of the first inkling I had that, Hey, maybe I've got different standards than other, other people. And, and, you know, for me, it, you know, my standards are the one, are the ones that mattered. Like it didn't matter that I, you know, I can't run a mile or two miles or a marathon or whatever, but I can do what I can do. And then fast forward, let's call it, I don't know. Uh, oh, it would have been 10 years from that point, eight years from that point. And I just, um, I was walking a lot from sort of from where I lived in Washington, DC to the Metro and then Metro to work and back and everything. But I just had this feeling that I felt weak and I didn't want to feel weak anymore. And I, I wanted to do something about that. And so I, I, you know, talked with a friend at work and he sort to of encouraged feel weak, me to feel weak in your whole body or your, or <laughs> I mean, like parts of your body. I mean, physically, like, especially strength weak, like okay. I had endurance to get through the day, but, but that was sort of it. Like I didn't have strength to actually, let's say, manipulate objects in the world in any sort of meaningful way, like 
you know, if, if friends moved and they needed helpers, like I was worthless. And, and again, so, you know, this, that's one, one, that's one uh, example. What other examples of manipulating things in the world? That's a little bit uh, of a technical term. <laughs> yeah, sure. You, you yeah. would tell me if you were editing my book. <laughs> yeah. So at the time I was traveling a lot for work and, you know, I might take a, I don't know, 20 to 30 pound, you know, roller bag on. And like, it was super hard. And sometimes I needed help to like lift it up in the overhead bin. Like, you know, look, man, I'm a, I'm a grown person and I'm asking for help. But like, you know, it's okay. like sometimes you need help. That's all right. But like that, those were a couple of moments where I felt like, like, surely, I, like, I get it. I'm never going to be super strong, but surely I can try to see if I can become a little bit stronger. And again, I, I went into it kind of thinking like I did with, with walking to and from crew, like, let's see how it goes. Maybe I can't, maybe I, and so anyway, the, what I started doing was strength training first sort of by myself. And then with a strength trainer, an awesome guy who lived in DC and now he lives in Florida. And it was, again, it was an experiment. Let's see how it goes. And look, if, if, and if hold the on, hold starts, on. this yeah. is another thing theme in my book, the way through identity loss and forced identity transition is experimentation, trying yep. new things failing forward it's like you try it it doesn't work Absolutely. so then you it's like you're not you haven't lost anything you're forward because you know that okay that isn't for me right that's exactly right and that uh I, I resonate very much with what you just said i mean that has been how i become physically healthy healthier it hasn't been um you know i like let me plan this out my next 10 years it has been, for whatever reason, I'm attracted to doing a certain activity and I go and test it out. And if I if I like it, great. If I don't like it, maybe I tweak it a little bit, like with strength training, like doing it just myself, not a good answer. Finding a coach who understands my limitations will work with me and, and provide appropriate motivation. Uh, that worked really well that works super well. And, you know, fast forward to, you know, other parts, other parts of life, like before my surgery in 2014, I thought, you know, I don't want to go back totally to strength training. I just don't have that, that kind of, that kind of time. I need more endurance. And so I worked with a trainer then. And I also worked with, with like a physical therapist, which I'd never really done before, but that also was a, was a good experiment to tell me I had this inkling that I needed to work on things like posture and um, uh, sort of core strength and things like that, which which I hadn't don't, done don't a ton we of all. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But that was a really important experiment to see was I right about that, and I was, and I think that helped me get through the surgery well and recover from that well too. So that's exactly right, Julie. Is I think these things are, or in my case experimentation has been key planning. I can't, I don't really think planning has played really hardly any role. It's I'm attracted to something. I test it out. If it doesn't go well, stop. And if it goes well, keep doing it and tweak to make it even better over time. You're the absolute perfect identity transition guy, because the, the disconcerting thing about especially forced identity transition, but in, even if it's a chosen identity transition is planning is not where it's at. It's just trying things and doing. And it's, it's such a bitter pill to swallow for those of us who are, are terminal planners and always want to like be able to reverse engineer how to do things. And that isn't that isn't the the necessary skill set to to come out the other side of a identity transition. Would you? What, yeah. How I, does that sound? I mean, you make this point repeatedly in your book that like you 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 can't think your way out of this box. Like <clears throat> you've got to you've got to experiment, test, gauge reaction, and reaction is both results and feeling, and and tweak those experiments going forward. And sure, there's like planning or research to 
figure out the next experiment or figure out what to tweak. But it's or, not fundamentally. And also to know what's out there. And to know what's out there. Yeah, that's totally right. But it's not fundamentally a planning exercise. It's fundamentally a um, an exercise of experimentation, like continual experimentation. And, you know, there have been things that I've done and uh, they haven't gone well. And there have been things where I'm like, you know, this has sort of run its course and it's time to stop for whatever reason and focus on other things. And that, again, I didn't, I didn't plan that. It was sort of experimentation and realizing or reflecting on results or reflecting on feeling about the activity. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you this. So I have, you haven't gotten enough into the book of all of my health problems, <laughs> but one of the, one of the issues that I have that I, and I want to know how you avoid this is that I get so used to these chronic conditions that I have that I settle because I've learned how to adapt. I've let go of the things I can't do. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't push myself maybe quite as much as you're talking about you you're like well wait a minute I think I'm just gonna like try you know try to be different how do you keep or where does that necessity or motivation come from to 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 do that because it is it is easy to settle and it's like this is this is just how it is and it's you know, I don't have the energy to like do all the work it takes to like build up strength and endurance and things like that. Does it, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, mo motivation is of course a key, key thing. So uh, here's what I would say. So, so one for, for whatever reason, I I'm, I'm just sort of made this way a little bit, like I am just constantly thinking or feeling like what needs to be better in life. Um, and I know that's not super helpful because, okay, wait, wait, like how do you, wait, how do the, you internet, the, the internet, the um, internet smushed it up. You're constantly thinking what? I'm just thinking about like, what, what do I need to do to improve in, in a variety of, of facets of life? You know, physical is one, mental is another, and, and sort of tweaking on the margins. Uh, in experimenting, experimenting. And so that's just sort of how I approach, I don't know, a lot of things. So so you and, have a you have a growth mindset on steroids. And I and I talk about the growth mindset as being one of the needle movers for I, successful transition. I, I don't know that I would say like on steroids. I mean, you know, <laughs> I read books by, you know, like there are a lot of people out there that, you know, do way more than I do, but but I do think um I do try to think and experiment with, okay, like, like I'm, I, I'm, I'm okay. I accept where I am in certain dimensions of life, but, but how can I be even just a little bit better? You know, maybe it's productivity or maybe, you know, big thing for me, Lasco is just like focus and putting down the phone and doing one thing at a time and, and so on. Um, so that's one answer with regard to my heart problem. So I'd, I'd say a couple things like I don't actually know a ton of people with my kind of heart problem or with heart problems, period. I, I don't know. I know more than zero, but I don't know a lot. I'm not I'm not especially close with sort of my age peers. Uh, a couple I know, I know decently, but 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 I know enough of sort of the the, the literature and in talking with my doctors like. I'm I'm either working pretty hard to improve or the decline can be pretty steep and fast. And I, I want to avoid okay. that. Okay. But 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 there's a very there is a new so you have a maintenance that you have or really have to be you're like on a tightrope. Kind of yeah, yeah. And and um, but really I would say the here's the here's a very big motivator for me. And I get it. Not everybody has this. I do, thankfully. But, you know, since my kids came around, uh, you know, I had my second open heart surgery after my second two and a half weeks after my second daughter was born. Oh, man. Uh, um, and so like, uh, 
I focus a lot on being here for my kids and just wanting to see them grow up. Like, like, like just the joy of it. Like my kids, like crack me up. Like they're hilarious and they're fun and, and being a parent is great. And, and I also have a very, and I wrote about this about a year ago that, you know, I, um, on my, on my father's side, I never got to meet my grandfather and my kids never got to meet my father because they passed away too early. And I, okay. and I don't know if it's possible, like, you know, if I leave here and I get hit by a car tonight, like, you know, it, um, you know, we're, we're done, but I want to do the things that I can do that right. are in my control to give myself the best chance possible to meet and enjoy my grandkids. And that for me is enormously motivating, uh, both sort of, sort of life goals and like how I spend a lot of my time. But also, I mean, not perfectly, like I eat too much candy and bad food for me and so, and da, 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 da. But on real everyday decisions, I think about, is this more likely to get me to meet and enjoy my grandkids? Or is this more likely to cause a problem that will prevent that? And to me, that is enormously motivating for me. I want to be here for my kids. I want to be here to meet and enjoy my grandkids. And I, I think about that every day. All right. Well, you have your necessity clearly cut out and it's working wonders. And I, I talk about that a little bit in the book too, is, is, is around, you know, what, who do you really need to make sure that you're at your best for? And it's not always Yes, our team needs us, our, you know, the the community, the world needs us, even though maybe a lot of people don't believe that because they don't feel like they're important, but it's true that the world, you know, we are here because, you know, it's it's not just by chance. Let's just, I, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. And, but really the, the, the really strong motivation comes when it's connected to somebody really close. And, and for me, it's my son that that's, that's what keeps me going. It's like, he needs to see me succeed, be happy. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, I also want to be here. And and he wants me like if, if, and when he has children, he does really want me to be here. And I've, obviously I would love that too, because the grandparenting side is so much easier because you get to like leave. <laughs> you get to come and go as you please. Uh, stereotypically, sometimes, um, yeah. you know, other, other circumstances require like, like my mom had to leave me and my next older brother at my grandmother's all the time because my oldest brother was always like in the hospital dying, literally like, four funerals were planned for him. Mm-hmm. And so that that kind of being on call grandparenting is different than just like being able to show up when you want. But anyway, we're going off the off the subject. Um so that is that is very uh interesting and and thank you for like being so specific and and painting that picture because i think a lot of people take life for granted and 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 when you like with your you just said your your dad and your grandfather died before their time and you know that you have this heart condition i don't know if that it causes premature death or not but it, those kind of things, when we can actually pay attention, those are mor- mortality motivation. It makes it uh, so. Basically, what I'm, I'm going, going a long way around to try to say that you have this serious mortality motivation going on that that a lot of people don't get until they have a life or you know really close life or death start happen happening around them or to them. And then they start to pay attention to things and and value life differently and and value their own body, which is, you know, what, what gives us life. Yeah. I mean, from a, from a 
shockingly young age, I had this sense that like, you know, not that I'm on borrowed time, but uncertainty that that my likely trajectory was not the same as my peers. And um, that uh, was sort of imbued in my just mentality period. I mean, and, you know, in some sense, uh, that may link back to what I had mentioned earlier about just always trying to improve in some ways. And, you know, some of that can also get, get unhealthy in terms of, uh, you know, pushing yourself too much to achieve or too much to do this or skimping on things because you are, are fearful of, of not having time to do the things you want to do. And, and as I, um, as I matured some and grown some, I've gotten to, I think, a better balance of, yes, I want to improve, but I also just, you know, I want to enjoy life too. And I think both of those are, both of those are, are, are uh, key ingredients to a life well-lived. That's, you know, so sort of that's a fine balance between living in the moment and thinking of the future. Yeah. And just being aware of, and being aware of potential consequences of of decisions and that that's exactly right now let me see if i can remember because i didn't want to interrupt you but you were so so you know i'm always translating what people say into this lens of identity and so when you were younger you had, so you have this physical condition, you know that, you know, things might, your, your trajectory might be different than other people's as far as life, um, whatever you call it, how long you live. Yeah. And so that, that, okay, so we have how that impacted your identity. And then also, right by the parallel is well if you weren't that way your identity could have been this other way or would have been different mm -hmm. and so you yes you didn't you didn't get the opportunity to be this other person that you could have been if you were born and your heart was fine and you were you know but at the same time you have this this identity that you do have that's built around these different variables and making the most of them I mean I mean so some people some people can be like very angry about circumstances and spend their life blaming people and blaming life and blaming God and or is you know you're on the other end of the spectrum it's like well this is what I have let me see what I can do with it and um, where do you think that came from? Did your parents help with that, or, or I mean, how did how does this happen? That, and then of course everybody has their own innate personality that we're born yeah. with, and then of course it is molded by environment. So I'm just wondering. Yeah. So, so, so look, I have definitely had moments. Uh, not not long periods, but I have had moments of anger, extreme frustration, extreme disappointment, and feelings of rejection and feelings of of not being whole. Um, so I've definitely had those. Like I do not want to give anybody the impression that I I've always been hunky dory and fine about about my heart problem because that's 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 not true. But. Yes, I, I will give a lot of credit to my parents who, you know, they were very, um, I mean, I don't know, I, you know, I, in some sense, I didn't talk to them about their parenting. I experienced it and I have reflected on it in the years, you know, since, but I didn't, you know, I didn't get to like sort of have an adult logical conversation about, about it with them. In, Both of in, your parents in, are gone, huh? Uh, no, my, my mom is still, is still alive. My dad is, my dad's passed away. Okay. Um, I mean, uh, so look, my parents were very good about um, making sure I did not feel self-pity about it, uh, that I did not sort of wallow in my woe is me-ness. Even after my surgery in 85, 
you know, I was gone from school for most of a semester. I couldn't really do anything the next semester. I was way tiny, way weak, way lightweight growing up. And they just, you know, they're like, you look, you have to look at life more holistically. Yes. Um, you have this condition, but you have a family that loves you. You can walk, you can talk, you can see, you can hear like there right. are, um, Just there are, yeah, I mean, there, there, of... there are millions of people out there in the world that would love to trade places with you. And I think that was, that was good sort of reframing of, yeah, okay. So I have, I have this thing, but it's not the end of the world. Like I, I have a lot of pluses in life and I should, I should keep those in mind a lot too. So that was, that was really important. Uh, hmm. You know, my parents were also really good about letting me test my own limits. Like in in seventh or eighth grade, like I wanted to go out for the basketball team and I'm sure mom and dad thought and knew like this ain't happening. Like, but they, but they let me do it and they, they, they let me fall on my face and fail, but, but I had to confront that. And I think that was okay. Like they did not shield me. Like it was, it, they did not shield me from that disappointment. They they knew life was going to be full of disappointments that and and many other sense, and that it was okay that you know I tried something it didn't work out and I've got to confront and deal with it and and emerge a hopefully better person from that experience. I think that was just a really um, a really important thing. They they were very big in helping me develop self reliance, like you know acknowledging like if I have a big medical thing like you know like self-reliance sort of goes out the window. I get it. But, but to the extent, you know, I went to a summer camp where the whole ethos of the place was self-reliance, like, hmm. like being on your own, taking, taking big hikes. I mean, I did, I did like big fun, uh, like, you know, gnarly rapid canoeing when I was 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. It was awesome. And I loved it. And I did it fine. I did it well. And, you know, again, that sort of built up this sense that, okay, I have this thing, but I have other talents and I have other ways I can push against this. And I don't know, it's, it's, um, you talk about identity. This is just so interesting. So in, 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 you know, I, um, my heart problem is very clearly part of my identity, but I think if you asked my friends, they would not say I'm defined by it. Um, but you know, I, you know, in my newsletter, I probably write about my heart problem 20% of the time. So it's, it is a piece. It's a big piece. It has undoubtedly formed me, but it is not something that I, um, fixate on every day. I don't think about continually. I, I, um, you know, to be fair, I've not done a lot sort of, um, charitably or support wise with the congenital heart community. Like, it, it 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 just hasn't defined me in that in that way. Um, and so it's just an interesting um angle I have on identity. Yes, it is a part of me. I don't think it defines me. Maybe, maybe later on in life it will it will be a bigger part of my self-definition. But I just I, you know, there's just other things I've wanted to do in life. And you know, I, I have to do it within certain limitations because of this, but you know, go do them and you know, if it works out amazing and if it doesn't go do something else pretty amazing. I'm laughing to myself because I I've asked this person to to be a, a guest in on for interview and he, and he was like okay so because he broke his neck and then his from he actually was never expected to walk again but then he he can walk but he does have lots of physical differences and so I imagined that he had, I, because this happened from an accident when he was like 17 or something or 15. Mm -hmm. So I imagined that he would have identity loss. And he's like, Julie, you know, I actually, I don't really think I'm your, I don't think I'm your person, but he, you know, he finally agreed to do the interview and he so wasn't my person because he, he didn't have identity loss from this completely life-changing event yeah. that he had and it was just like whoa um so it's just fascinating how everybody responds differently to these major 
catastrophic life events. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I've met some amazing people that have responded to things kind of like the gentleman you were talking about, experiences way worse than I've ever had. And they are like chipper and more bubbly and more go get them in life than like, I don't touch them. Like, and it's just, you're right. It's amazing to see how people respond to, uh, to crisis, to adversity, uh, to, you know, some things that, um, you know, you know, Nassim Taleb talks about this, like, you know, if something's anti-fragile, if it improves under uncertainty or improves in chaos and, you know, forced identity transitions can be so tough, but undoubtedly there are people out there that emerge better because of that. And, you know, it's not just a, like a doggy paddle or a, or a trying to hang on. It's, it's a catalyst for enormous growth. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, that's a, that's just a fascinating phenomenon. It's very fascinating. And I write very delicately about that, that sometimes it is because of, and even some, a lot of people say they're glad it happened, even horrible things. Not everybody, of course, but it is, it is fascinating how these, the people in my book, the stories um, that they come out, a person they would never have imagined being had this event or this condition never be, have been there or happened. Yeah. I mean, it's uh you asked the question earlier, earlier on, like, if I thought about what I would be like, if I didn't have this, like, I mean, it's, I can't remember who it was. It was either uh, Paul McCartney or, or George Harrison was asked, like when the Beatles blew up, like, you know, do you, do you ever wonder what your life would have been like if you were a normal kid? He's like, like, no, I wasn't a normal kid. So I have no frame. I have no idea. So no, I didn't think about it at all. You know, look, these are the cards I was dealt. Right. This is the hand I get to play in life. And, you know, it's okay. Like, is it a perfect hand? No, nobody has a perfect hand. It's still a pretty good hand. So I just do the best I can to play with it. Yeah, I, I've heard many times that people wouldn't want to trade. Nobody wants to trade their problems for somebody else's problems. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that, I mean, there's something to be said for that. When you were talking, I was thinking about my brother, and so his his growth was stunted. So he's short. He just had like like I say, you know, he had four funerals planned, and he is still alive. But he is his growth was stunted, and my mom was a nurse, and she worked really really hard to get growth hormone. Like it was really hard to get. And she finally like got some doctor to prescribe this for him. And he was probably a, you know, going, getting ready to go into being a teenager at that point. And so then she told him, oh, I got it for you. And he looked at her and said, you know, I don't want that. I don't need that. Because he just grew into who he was. And it's like, you know, I'm short. So it yeah. is, it is, um, you know, everybody finds their own way and it's, it's fascinating. Oh, but also, I also wanted to say when you were talking about your parents would let you try things, the doctors, anyway, it makes me cry when I say this because yeah. my, my dad, you know, has told me a number of times when I asked him about what was it like about you know being a parent during this time and or you know just what was the experience like and because I like people's tough stories that's that's my gig is like tell me about like the really hard stuff in your life and, and he said that doctor the doctors told him and my mom that they're absolutely certain the only reason my brother lived was because my parents would take him out and let him do you know, we would go backpacking and camping and, and these things that people would be like, well, you better protect him. You know, he's so sick. How could you think yeah. of doing that? And mm -hmm. they just like, let him, they offered him to do whatever he could do. 
and 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 the doctors basically over the over the years or at some point told my parents that that's the reason he's alive is because they didn't coddle him they they you know you have to protect a person to, to for where they need to be protected and then also let you know it's kind of like a growing up a, a kid growing up is like you have to protect them a lot when they're like a toddler and a little kid and then then you like let them do more and more even though you know that bad stuff can happen i mean i think a lot of that is true i mean my, my kids as far as we know don't have any health issues but you know that's sort of the delicate balancing act of of of, of being their parent like they don't have the limitations I had, but it's still, you know, what's what's the right, um, what's the right uh, activities to let them do now? What's the, what are the right mistakes to, that they can make now? What are mistakes that are too far over the edge? But I think your parents and my parents, you know, they they wanted us to make our own way in the world, and. I think that was a really ennobling lesson and, and, and just, yeah, I mean, okay, maybe it's a little bit tougher for us for whatever reason, your brother, me, others, but it is what it is and we better go find our way. And, you know, I, I, I've, I've heard, I mean, I don't talk to my doctors a ton about this, but, you know, I think they would say I've gotten an overall um, uh, good result from my surgeries and life and so on, because I'm active. I, I don't sort of, you know, sit in my office all day and like, then go home and sit in front of the couch for five hours watching TV. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm active. Uh, you know, I play with my kids. I do activities with my kids. I'm up and about driving around doing different stuff. Like I try to be engaged in things and engaged in life and engaged with the people I love. And that, that, that's made a ton of difference, an enormous amount of difference, you know, maybe physically, certainly mentally and emotionally, and maybe that's even the more important piece. Well, it's definitely a piece you can't neglect and expect to get the results you're looking for. No, but I think you're right. A lot, I think a lot of people, you know, would, would sort of try to over coddle kids and try to be too protective. And, you know, at some point, you know, mom and dad got to, got to push the baby out of the nest and they got to fly, man. Like, you know, maybe they don't fly as high as others, but still like fly, they fly their own flight. Yeah, that's right. Fly their own okay. flight. There's different and and you and you measure it differently. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's okay. Yeah. Now, before we run out of time, I want you to talk about this this thing that you're doing. Um I forget what it's called, but it's with this backpack <laughs> or something. Oh, oh, the rucking I do, yeah. Rucking. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us that so, story. Um, so in 2000. So wait, wait. But first of yeah. all, yeah. for the also for the audience, your upper body is less developed, right? Uh, or yeah. At least I mean, one one yeah. arm is. Yeah, I mean, there's some other sort of funny things that don't um, maybe are related to heart surgeries or stuff. But like, uh, I mean, you know, this. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get, get people jealous, you know, watching this, Julie. So I'm not going to, I'm going to keep my shirt on, but yeah, I mean, I don't have a super well-developed upper <laughs> body or arms. Like, even though I've done strength training for 20 years, like, I, like I am much stronger than I was. You're not going to get see it physically. No, 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 no. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and so some of that may be related to the heart problem. Some of that is I just have some quirks. Like my left arm is uh, not limp, but and not even, I'd say it's just, it, it is smaller than my right arm, which is small and it doesn't gain any size. Like it's gained some strength, but no size. Uh, I have a protruding shoulder blade. I think that actually is from the surgery I had when I was 12 days old, they sort of went in through the side. Um, so yeah, so, you know, but okay. It's all right. I have a, I have a very super well-developed neck and I have great legs and it is what it is, you know? So <laughs> So I do this, uh, this sport called uh, rucking and it's, you know, from, uh, from the army, from the military, put a weight in a backpack, put the backpack on and go for a long walk or do like 
physical training exercises with it. And so I got into rucking. My brother and I did this challenge, uh, this site called the Art of Manliness. They have this sort of community called the the Strenuous Life uh, back in 2019. And it's it's like the first part of it. I mean, it's a you're a member sort of forever, but the first like 12 weeks, first um, first three months is this really intense where you got to challenge every week and so on. And you do all these things and, and a bunch of them are physical. And, you know, my brother and I would like go out and do these things and they're like hard. Well, I learned, I, I, I learned about rucking through that strenuous life community. And I'm like, well, I can walk. I like walking. I'm going to make it just a little bit more challenging. I'm going to see how, again, an experiment. Let's see how it goes. So I, you know, got a rucksack, put some weight in it, went for a walk, liked it. And right as COVID hit, I signed up for an event that this company, Go Ruck, um, does uh, a 5K in Cincinnati. Uh, I, and I remember, I distinctly remember thinking, there is no way I'm ever going to do more than a 5K, but I'll do a 5K. And I loved it and I met some great people, had fun, felt great afterwards. And, you know, COVID sort of, you know, well, what can you do in COVID? Well, you can take your dog for a walk. So I would take my dog rucking with me. And I kept thinking, well, I wonder if I can do a 10K. Okay, I can do a 10K. Okay, I wonder if I can do like uh, like seven or eight miles. All right, I did seven or eight miles. Uh, and then they have events at like 12 miles. I was like, well, I wonder if I can do 12 miles. Probably not, but maybe, I, yeah, I'll train, see what, how I feel. Wait, like, let me, I, let me. I want you to finish this, but let's bring us back to the beginning. And I don't think you said this in the interview, but I think I remember you telling me this is that you you went down to the boathouse, but getting back up from the boathouse was not all one go. Yeah, I mean, most of the time it was, but there were times where like it was hard and I had to stop and I'd get a snack or a cup of tea or I'd rest for a little bit. I mean, but I found mostly I could do it okay, you know. I, I, I mean, I was slow. I wasn't running it, but I, you know, I could do it most of the time. Yeah. Okay. And so now here you are a few decades later yeah, so and you're, you're rucking, rucking yeah. for, so pick up where you left off with the, your rucking story. You well, got so to mostly, 10K yeah. and. Yeah. I just kept thinking like, can I go further and further and further? And how like, how okay. heavy are these packs that you carry? I mean, I carry 10 pounds plus water. Which you don't like. Which is I've eight been... pounds. Water is eight pounds a yeah. gallon. So yeah, wait, is... yeah, wait, yeah. And I and I keep thinking like I used to be like ten or twelve pounds heavier than I am now. I don't remember like you know this is hard, and you know now you put it in a backpack and you put it on. You're like, uh, this is this is different. <laughs> and so you know now I you know I enjoy doing twelve milers. Uh, I've thought about training for like a marathon length. I, I mean I do think that we're. I think, I think maybe it's possible. I think life right now, uh, just, you know, with the kids and work and stuff, I think that, that would require a training commitment. I'm not sure I can make, but, but, but my doctors haven't come to me and said, because of your heart problem, we think there's no way you could do this. They had said, you know, be careful if you want to try it, see how it goes. Okay. Like, you know, see how it goes, but they haven't said, you know, no, like no way. No, no, no. I, I like it. Like I feel good when I rock. I feel great at the end. I feel like I made an activity I enjoy doing just a little bit harder. And as a result, like I feel, I feel tough and I feel good at the end of that. And I, I, again, I think we talked a lot about emotional and sort of mental, mental health. Like, you know, who knows, there may be tough, tough health days ahead of me sometime, hopefully long in the future, maybe never, but you know, I better bring a a good, can-do, tough attitude that I can surmount those challenges. And I think, you know, rucking is one small way that I think develops that attitude in me. Well, I know that we grew up taking our vacations backpacking in the Sierras in California, and backpacking Ooh. is not always fun. And some, and and there's always at least a few times on the trip. When you say, I am never going to do this again, <laughs> it is again. so miserable, especially cross country type stuff. Oh, yeah. But really, that was what got that was what got me through UC Berkeley because I was not an academic at all. And I was like, if I could get over this map, whoops, um, hold on. You're back. You're coming back. 
if I could get over this mountain, I can write this damn paper. Right. And so these these other things that it's like we 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 draw strength from from different places. And that's one of the reasons why and this isn't about parenting, but it is like really good when you're growing up to be able to explore and try a lot of different things because you never know where you're going to draw your strength from. That's exactly right. But but we need to have some challenging things that we that we can do and that where we do test our strength. If you had told me when I was a 10-year-old kid right after my surgery that one day I would do strength training every week, uh, I would do yoga every week, and I would ruck, you know, these 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 events. I would have said you're crazy. Like no, like I, maybe maybe I thought I would have done some other things. But I never would have thought that. You're exactly right. Like it's like experimenting is so important because you don't know what's going to strike your fancy and what what you enjoy and derive joy and benefit from. Right. Well, when before we wrap up, I'd like you to give sort of a before, middle, and after. The after is right now. Who your identity? Like who were you? Who were you as that ten-year-old kid? Who were you as that that college kid? And who are you yeah. now? How's your identity? You know, when I was 10, I, I would say um, I was, uh, I, you know, I was small and I sort of felt like playing small ball in life, uh, you know, weak, slight. I, I, I had some academic confidence, but, um, you know, I think my identity was kind of, you know, based on, on, on fear and not wanting to get hurt. Um, because I, you know, I, I didn't know what uh, physical things I would do, what that would, what, what that would cause internally. So sort of the, let's call that the beginning, the middle I'd say is, is uh, early adulthood thinking, you know, now I've done some more things in life, some more physical things, whether it's walking down and up half hour from the boathouse you know, early in my career, I traveled a ton all by myself, all over the world and, you know, did, did fine with that. Um, and so I'd say, you know, my identity was, huh, like maybe I can do things that, you know, no normal people can do. And maybe in some sense, I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm not normal still, but I'm more normal in some ways that, that I wanted. Uh, and I'd say my identity now is, is, is even more an identity of, experimentation, tinkering, and trying to do the things, uh, more of the things that I know make me feel good, build resilience, and, uh, you know, I think toughness in me. And and to just, you know, G.K. Chesterton has this great quote that the hardest thing for a person is to enjoy enjoyment. And that has been true of me for a lot of life, but I'm, I'm getting to a place where I really can, like, I enjoy enjoyment. I just enjoy hanging out with my kids. I enjoy hanging out with my wife. I enjoy walking the dogs. I enjoy the, you know, I enjoy the the writing and the work I get to do. And there's, um, there's a, a, a great sense of, of contentment and satisfaction when you can enjoy things that should be enjoyed. Wow. Yeah. I went to a, a, a research class on feeling joy and and the guy taught us how to actually feel it when you have a joyful moment because they we it's usually so fleeting and he he taught us to like okay so when you have this joyful moment then actually like really explore and pay attention and really feel it and so the more that you do that then the more you actually feel the joy when joy is there because I guess we're kind of we are hardwired to to pay attention to the negative, and it's super easy to feel negative, and it is it, it it takes work. I don't know how the research study finally ended up, but basically it does take work to feel joy. And um, well, so this has been so fascinating. Thank you, Russell. Do you have any 
do you want to like give out any information how people can follow your blog or anything don't you have a blog i do so or i've got this newsletter that newsletter like, nobody can pronounce the name i'm probably going to butcher <laughs> the name too but it's a it's a phrase that has gotten me through a lot of life the phrase is solvitur ambulando which is latin for when in doubt walk or it is solved by walking uh, and you can find me right now uh, at uh, uh, srsmith3.substack.com and uh, publish publish weekly everything from, you know, books I'm reading to um, life and philosophy to living in what I think is a tricky uh, modern world. Uh, yeah. I, and I write about my hard problems sometimes, but uh, a lot of it's about uh, just what we've been talking about, Julie, like finding and experiencing joy in life. All right. So we'll have that in the show notes. And this is, do you have any couple of takeaways you want to leave the audience with? You've already like given a whole hour mm. worth of takeaways. You know, uh, <laughs> sum up your life. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, there are, you know, in the modern world and the news and social media, there are there seemingly are so many reasons to feel negative or angry or sad or disappointed. And I think it's worth pulling up and in our own lives, finding the reasons to be joyful and enjoy things. And uh, I think those abound as well. And we don't pay uh, attention to some of that sometimes. And, you know, I'd say, look, I, I truly believe we can all improve um, our lives, our health. Um, you know, maybe we get to a point where improvement becomes very incremental, very hard. That's okay. I hope I'm still strength training when I'm 70 years old. I hope I'm trying to eat better and continue to, to work on flexibility and posture and breathing capacity when I'm 70. I mean, it's going to look different then, but for those standards at that time in life, I hope I'm trying to do my best to improve then too. I, I, I happen to think we can all improve even just a little bit in life. Even if it's our perspective, even if, it's you know, even if everything else is out of control, the way we, the way we think we can, mm -hmm. that remains a choice. It's, it's exact. I just went on this great retreat and a big theme of it was we can choose in the moment what to feel and how to react. That's exactly right. Right. All right, Russell. Thank you so much. This has been Julie, this has so been amazing. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Russell. And this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others and make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one -on -one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.
Thank you.